It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times, now with goals. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast, the football podcast from the Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti. And in the studio this week, I'm kind of excited because my guests are so good that we do not need four of us to do the show. We only need three of us. That's right. Welcome back for her seasonal debut, Alison Rudd and... Fresh off covering the Tour de France and all sorts of definitely, most definitely not doping or drugs escapades, but lots of uh, urine and spit and all this other good stuff. It's Matt Dickinson. Coming up, we'll be talking West Brom and Chelsea. We'll be debating some of the pressures facing young English footballers and some of the solutions on on the back of the recent news and the excellent column Dicko wrote in the paper. Plus, we'll have quick hits, everybody's favorite. But first, let's head to Goodison. Torre, it's a very clever ball, back for Sami Nasri, who lifts it over Tim Howard and into the net for 2-0. The point safe for Manchester City, whose perfect start of the season will continue. We'll get to Manchester City and uh, uh, whether they really are the real deal, but I want to take a step back and do this backwards a little bit to talk a little bit about Everton. This has been going on, I think, forever, as far as I can remember. This, this thing with a hardcore of the support really don't like Bill Kenwright and think it's time to go. And they've got serious questions about uh, some of the commercial deals that were made at the club, uh, about the ownership. They're pretty vocal about it. But for whatever reason, they can't seem to get the traction to criticize the ownership the way, for example, their fellow Merseysiders at Liverpool did, you know, way back in, in the dark days of Tom Hicks. Dicko, is it because there are some fundamental differences between Everton and and Liverpool supporters? Or is it simply because there's a lot less to criticise in Kenwright and some of the club's owners? I think there is, and I think it's partly to do with expectation, scale of expectation, isn't it? The fact is that Everton's um, fans are, shall we say, used to settling for less. I think there's a sense with uh, Everton that, you know, what's the answer? You can fly your banner over... A ground saying Ken Wright out, but the fact is he's on record as saying I will sell to a credible, sensible owner if he turns up and says, you know, here's the money to buy the club. As Aston Villa are finding out, for all that we uh, we think the Premier League is um, the world wants a piece of it. Actually, if you're a, a, a middling Premier League team, 
you know, you do not have a queue of buyers. So, you know, say it's one thing to protest, it's another far harder thing to come up with a solution. And actually, if I was an Everton fan, I'd be looking at an upwardly mobile season. I don't see, you've got Roberto Martinez is a rated manager. Yes, has he got flaws? Of course he has. But, you know, he creates, tries to create interesting, dynamic, I think, adventurous teams. Have a, you know they got Ross Barkley, one of the the, the, the sort of you know bright stars uh, of of English football coming through. They got John Stones, who I don't think they should sell even for if Chelsea put forty million on the table. Why you know his value is only going to go up. Um, Seamus you know, Coleman. They've got some good players. They've got some you know they spent a fortune on Lukaku, so they've shown ambition. So look. Has Everton slipped behind? You know, are there hard questions to be asked of Ken Wright about why is their commercial revenue so low compared to comparable clubs? Yes. Are there hard questions to ask about why you know Goodison Park is, for all the atmosphere that Ollie Kay described in his excellent column on Saturday, you know they should have any club that has not upgraded its stadium in the last twenty years of boom has to look at itself and ask hard questions. Why not? So, yes, there are hard questions, but I don't actually think Bill Kenwright is doing a bad job, and I certainly don't know who the magical buyer who comes in who makes it better is. Also, Gam, you mentioned traction and the inability of that hardcore who are against the current regime at Everton to, to build on that. It's because, in many respects, Kenwright's the owner of all football, football fans which own their own club. I first what, met a guy with no money who doesn't no, actually all, own most of the shares? That's the caveat. That's the caveat. Nowadays, he's not as rich as... You know, once upon a time, he was a wealthy owner. He's not anymore. I'm sorry, but wealthy no. relative to who? As I understand it, Bill Kenwright's line all along is that he's just an above-average net worth guy who happens to have some wealthy friends. I was going to say, he's got some wealthy friends, Philip Green and so on. That, 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 are, are, we, are we allowed to say that Philip Green? I, I, thought, well, I, thought, I, thought, I thought that's the thing they get angry if you say that Philip Green... They do, and I think it's, a, it's so, a murky area that could do, probably could do with some, um, and that's some, the problem, some, right? some clarity. But I don't think any Everton fan thinks they're being... Do they seriously think they're being ripped off? I think they maybe think there could be... I think, you know, like a lot of fans, especially of fans that have got history and, and have a have a sense that we should be competing for honours, whether that's just, you know, domestic cups, they feel as if, you know, you know, we, who is, who's the man who's going to take us to the next level? But actually, I think the level that they're at is, isn't a bad one. As I say, I, 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 if I was an Everton fan, I, the thing I can't understand is if it's four months into a moribund season, OK, come back and let's have a talk about it. But if I was an Everton fan at the start of this season, I'd be thinking, you know what, actually, I think this could be quite fun. Isn't it an issue about... Have we got to the point where if you're a football fan, you really don't care who owns your club or who the chairman of your club is? That doesn't matter as long as they've got pots and pots of cash. When I first met Bill Kenwright, this is 15 years ago, got a train from Euston to Liverpool Lime Street. We shared a car to the stadium. We could not... It took, it took half an hour to walk from the gate to the executive box because he was being mobbed. He was being mobbed with love. People just wanted to hug him and say thank you. Thank you, Ken, we love you. He handled it beautifully, but, you know, he's that sort of guy, isn't he? He's used to that sort of theatrical world. It's all very lovely in his world. But that just doesn't it just doesn't happen anymore. And I think there's a hangover from that love for him at Goodison, which is why the people who want him gone can't really get a swell of support for that point of view, because there is this residual feeling that, actually, I quite like being a supporter of a club where the owner cares so much. He may be that he cares too much. He cares so deeply, he finds it very hard to let go. And people have 
put feelers out to buy Everton and they haven't said the things he wants them to say. It's that great story, isn't there, of he tells about... uh, I think David Moyes tells about when he was... um, They were talking about the um, transfer of of Rooney to Manchester United and um, at the point where Ken Wright realised he was going to sell, he... I think he rang his mother and ended up crying down the phone saying, I'm, you know, I'm just about to sell, you know, the kid who is, you know... He rang classic. his own mother, not his own mother. Yeah, his own mother, just okay. to, to, to... And started crying down the phone. And as I say, there is a degree of, as Alison says, of sort of Shaftesbury Avenue uh, theatricality about that. But actually, I think there's also a, a degree of a guy who cares deeply about his club. And as Alison rightly says, I think it's one of those classic cases of fans should be careful what they wish for on this, you know. OK, Carson, Carson Young might turn up next and, and you, know, won't, <laughs> won't that, you know, won't that be a joy for Everton fans? Is, is there a broader and slightly depressing argument about the economic reality of being Everton where you've got a tremendous tremendous history where you know you were one of the, the three four five biggest clubs in this country but football's much more of a business now and you happen to be from a city that isn't that big that isn't particularly wealthy you've got an equally big most would say bigger club certainly by fan base and by success right on your doorstep in Liverpool. And 45 minutes away, you've got the other biggest club in England and one of the wealthiest clubs in the world, the United and City. And and you can't grow your, your catchment area geographically. You can't attract the major sponsorship. It's extremely difficult to go and make money the way you would have back in the 70s and 80s and, and, and competed. And then so maybe the reality is that for Everton, you know, there's only room for so many super clubs. Is there basis no, to I think, I, th- I think that's I and think do you just have to accept that and just love Everton. Well don't you have to accept them I and I say I think if you're you know turning looking back at where they've got to where they are now, I say a, a member a chief exec of a club said to me that any club, given the boom that there's been over twenty years and the money that's flooded in and just the obvious signs of growth that you need to get commercial turnstiles, whatever, any club that has not addressed its stadium by now has, has screwed up. Because you know you consider the money. You know you consider what Man United did all those years ago. Well, they, to be fair, uh, Everton they, they they tried to. Address, no, they've been trying. They've been trying to, but they haven't done it. And it's it's not just one ownership that's not addressed this. This is you know going back over. You could say say over twenty over twenty years. But I, I mean, one executive member saying that to me, and I thought that's a pretty fair point. If you have not, you know, if you are still twiddling your thumbs trying to work out, you say, and Tottenham are guilty of this as well. You know, these other clubs have moved on and they've invested and they're growing because of that investment and that is one significant mistake that Everton have been trying to rectify but have still not rectified. They were just one political decision away from breaking into the big time, aren't they? If, if How? They, well, if the, if the local council had approved funding for a new stadium or if Liverpool and Everton had combined forces for a super combined Merseyside stadium, they'd be fine now. Well, I don't know that they'd be fine though because you'd still face the same challenges in growing commercial revenue. Now you have, you have, you have, if you have a virtually off. free stadium, you attract an owner. Right. Let's talk some uh, some city because goodness me, they deserve it. Three wins from three. I loved Yaya Torres. I thought this was maybe his worst game this season relative to the other two, but I love the fact that this guy can. But he still played well. <laughs> the fact that he can go and and do something like that. I, I I know like the buzz was all about Silva and whatever, but hey, am I getting a little overexcited over that Yaya Torre to, to Nazri? Well, the cool. pass, the, uh, the the flick pass, the pass, and then Nazri's yeah, finish, and I mean, Nazri's smiling. I'm a sucker. No, I'm a sucker for goals like that. I mean, I, I would, you know, a bit like the Wilshire goal of um, that I would have had above any number of thirty-yard screamers. I'm I'm a complete sucker for but goals. It's curious like that. though because I would have noticed this in this country, right? Like, okay, first of all, 
you guys love goal of the month competitions and all that jazz, which is weird. I see it as kind of like a legacy of the 1980s. But hey, you know, that's what it is. And when you watch in like Match of the Day or, or Sky or whatever, they're like, oh, let's look at the best goals of this month. They're mostly screamers from outside the box, which... Yeah. But I, and I've always, you know, I've, I've said... You never like... No, I've, I've always thought a, a great goal will always have a somewhere and it will have a bit of deafness. It might be the touch before the 30-yard screen. Right. But I just always, any, you know, the best, best goals for me pretty much always contain something, say, guile or deafness. Or what I was in Bergkamp was my one of my great heroes and just something that looks a little Bergkamp. I just like that. More Bergkamp of, than Craig Gardner, even though he certainly scored his share of long-range screamers yeah i'll stick to burkham best rather than gardner-esque but um but yeah and i just and, and that goal certainly had it because there's actually it wasn't just the ir touch it was the nasri touch as well wasn't it just that lovely lovely little sort of floated finish and yeah i'm a, I'm, a, I'm with you i'm a sucker for goals okay so allison i look at city now right so just looking at basically their second team people who didn't start this weekend you could make a team with caballero and goals abeletta and cliche the, the uh, fullbacks otamendi and demichelis at, at center half Delphin, Fernando in midfield, De Bruyne, if, if he comes, Nasri, Navas, Boney, and, and, and the kid from the youth team who's on the bench. And that team might, well, <laughs> stake a case for finishing top four or close to it. They're absolutely stacked and it's all working. And why was it all doom and gloom last year? Well, we know why it was doom and gloom. We thought Pellegrini was... Was too soft. Well, we thought Pellegrini was probably on his way out. He was going to be undermined. And if he did stay, nobody really wanted him to stay. And everyone really wanted Pep Guardiola. And, I mean, I think you wouldn't find a single media outlet that didn't tip him as coming to City. So he signs a, a new contract. And even then, people assume it's just a ploy to keep things simmering along until they get who they really want. Maybe we've got it all wrong. Maybe the grand plan... Maybe he does a very good conference with the owners. Maybe he... Maybe he's actually a good manager. Maybe he just said, look, you know, my track record is this. If we sign these players, I think we can make an assault on the Champions League and the league. I'm confident. Are you confident in me? And it, I think if I was faced with Pellegrini, I think, well, actually, he, des- he does deserve another chance. More often than not, they play beautiful football. All they needed really was to um, sort out the defence. They've bought well at the back, as you've just pointed out, Gab. I think what I like most about City at the moment is it encapsulated by the way Sterling has fitted in. I sort of feel Sterling needed to go to a club where he didn't have the weight of the burden of you're the star player, you can make it happen you need to you need to have a flash of genius every 10 minutes at this club that's what was happening starting to happen at Liverpool and at City everyone is so good and so trusted that you don't have to have a flash of genius every 10 minutes it can just be once as in the yaya pass and it's enough because everyone else is doing their job for the rest of the time to a reasonably good level that they just no one can get really get into them there's a there's a calmness about them and Sterling looks the calmest of all. He doesn't look like he's under pressure. And everyone predicted he'd find the price tag hard, all the build-up hard to him going. I think he just likes being a bit part player in a beautiful production. But I think, I mean, it almost depends which side of bed you get out, doesn't it? You can either praise City for the good seasons like this and, and say, well, you know, this is, as you say, not just the best team, but the best squad. And, you know, they're playing to their potential. Or you can sort of get at the other side and say, what on earth were they doing last year? You know, OK, their squad's improved this year. They got Sterling in, but come on, they, they should have been defending their title far more robustly than, than they were. And, and that comes, you know, and, and you can't look much beyond attitude as the failing for it. And when you're looking at 
you know, attitude, players probably do get off the hook too lightly, but ultimately we tend to look at the manager, the, the man with the responsibility of eking the best out of that squad. And that's why, you know, Pellegrini can't duck the fact that last year, last season was rotten compared to, to what City are capable of. Do they need Kevin De Bruyne? I mean, the reason I ask this is when you look at sort of the attacking midfielders that they have, I mean, already now, Samuel Nasri is on the bench. Yaya Torre is playing, but that's because he's only really playing the one defensive midfielder. If he goes back to what he did last year and and against some bigger teams, he may need to do that and play two guys like that, then presumably you move Yaya Torre up and then you've got another, you know, one fewer slot if it if it goes through. And as, of, as we're taping Monday morning, it has not gone through yet. Could that become an issue for them? Seems a bit too honest. It seems over the top. I don't think they need him to win the title. That's for sure. Um, and I, just keeping I, everybody happy. I mean, yeah, and I don't see. I mean, a bit. I mean, Delph. I, I sort of. I wince already. And look, we're a few games in the season, and Delph will get his games, and he's got to be given time to sort of bed in and and learn the what's wanted from him. And I'm sure he will get games, and he'll win medals, and maybe that's a, a, enough for him if he's playing. 20 or so, 30, 20 to 30 games. But I still, you know, the person in us that wants the best for the England team can't help but wince at the sight of Fabian Delph on the bench. To be fair, though, to Delph is, is competition in that position. We're not talking Sergio Busquets and Paul Pogba. We're talking about Fernando and Fernandinho. If you, I mean, I know people are critical of Delph. If you don't, in your hearts of hearts, believe that you can, you can go and, and get, play, and get playing time ahead of them, you can't beat them out. That maybe this whole England discussion should go out the window. No, absolutely. Because, I think that's a fair, know, that's a fair point. And he, if he backs, you have him, to believe that if he right? backs himself to be better, and he's had private conversations about how he can progress there. And I think Fabian Delph can become a easily good enough to 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 play as much, if not more, game time than both of those players. So, and I, I, you know, and I very much hope that happens. And when it does, great. But uh, you know, I think City have now got a, as you say. A big, big squad you know, loaded with a, a lot of players who would expect to be playing all the time. And that's, like I say, if, if they get the Bruyne as well, that's going to be an added challenge for Pellegrini. He's just keeping everyone happy. Another chance for Albion to push forward and Rondon using his pace, trying to get goal side of Terry. Now, has he pulled him down? Referee says yes. So the red card is inevitable, denying a goal scoring opportunity. Terry's dismissed. Jose Mourinho far from convinced it is outside the area rather than in it but this time last week he didn't reappear for the second half he was taken off by his manager this week he's sent off moving on to uh, West Brom and uh, uh, Chelsea this weekend again before we talk about the game Pedro I, I thought this whole situation was was absolutely hilarious. remarkable you say hilarious because <laughs> it's United and you like to laugh at them but Dicko can you tell me what happened and why this guy is not a Manchester United player when presumably they were tracking him. I mean, for, for, first of all, Van Hal says, well, I said his profile fit. I never said that we were going to sign him or whatever. Is Van Hal saying the truth or did they actually well, try to sign him? Well, it partly him? depends who you believe. And to be honest, I think we will only probably get the sort of um, the true answer when the window closes and we find out if United have got another target and how, shall we say, you know, credible that target is compared to Pedro. Well, it's I mean, Neymar, Wood- isn't it? I mean, well, they, Woodward they, they, was in Barcelona to sign Neymar, right? They, they've been talking about, you know... Um, our, I'm being sarcastic. Our, I don't know if it's... If it, if no, it, but our very, our very good um, friends, colleagues, sister paper at The Sun say that um, there's been long... There's a long um, uh, game yeah. going on for, to get Neymar. Now, I wouldn't hold your breath um, yeah. at this particular point. Yeah, can, 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 I, can I just, just comment on that? There may well be a long game to sign Neymar, but A, Neymar, funnily enough, we're talking 
Contract renewal time with Barcelona. So that seems like an odd coincidence. Secondly, if you want to play your long game, Woody, why don't you go and play the long game after the transfer window closes, since you're obviously not going to sign them now because Barcelona have a transfer ban and they'd have to be absolute idiots to sell Neymar when they were already down Pedro. I mean, obviously they, nobody believes that if it's a long game, it's a long game. It's not for also, now, right? Also, they played the long game with Cesc Fabregas and... Um, and, and Gareth Bale and all... Yeah, exactly. Is it a case, do you have enough information to definitively say Woodward was there to sign Pedro, they thought they had a deal, and then the deal fell through for whatever reason? Do we know that? Well, he was there to talk through the deal, absolutely, and he was there. So it wasn't and, there. And, and, and but they, you know, they're, so they're, presumably there was a, because there they was wanted a, him. Well, again, say so this is why it comes down to who you believe. Do I think Pedro would have improved? I mean, I think everyone would agree that yeah, Pedro, Pedro would improve that. Man United. Did, so did they screw Yannison. up? Do you think did they screw up the Woodward deal? I think, or, did, or did Pedro turn around and screw them? I think they hesitated because of whether. I mean, if they wanted the deal that badly, they'd pay the money. I mean, Wood was shown that he's willing to pay the also, money. Also, the guy so. has a clause, right? They weren't going to let him go for less. So they, for, for so less they hesitated. The, so, the reason for that hesitation is what is, shall we say, under dispute here. They say the reason right. for that hesitation was we are not absolutely sure he was. We've got three or four balls in the air. Did we really want him? No. Now he's gone. They don't care about the hesitation. But that's is why it's come back to. If the, when the window closes, they have not got someone who is at least as good as Pedro, and you know there aren't many of those players out there, then they've screwed up, haven't they? All right, enough United, because um, this was supposed to be about West Brom and Chelsea, and I steered it in that direction, uh, so it's my fault. But Pedro settled in very, very well, I thought. I thought maybe people made slightly too much of a big deal of his goal because it took a pretty hefty deflection. But I thought he looked like an absolute natural. Alison, can they... And you know, and on paper you look at this and you say, well, hey, you know, maybe he's he's ahead of Oscar now, when Oscar's fit and happy again. Is a Pedro William Hazard line behind Diego Costa is that better, more balanced, more Mourinho-like than one which is Oscar in there? If Pedro can keep the work rate up to go with his evident skill, then yes, it is. I mean, Oscar keeps getting dropped because he gets tired and doesn't track back enough, or. It's that wholehearted thing he requires. It doesn't matter how much skill you have. You couldn't see Yaya Tori in a Mourinho side, for example. You're not going to carry a player for a game just because you know he can produce the pass of the season, possibly. He wa- he, Mourinho wants everything from his players, and um, Pedro's that sort of player, isn't he? He's, he's just got so much energy allied to all the lovely skill that comes from being a Barcelona legend that he's perfect Chelsea player and also Chelsea were crying out for somebody who can run at a defence and have that sort of confidence in his ability to keep the ball and do or do something clever with it they had like William William has William has I love William and he he has stacks of energy and confidence but you know his his shooting is a bit off and his final ball isn't always quite as perfect as it should be Pedro brings that sort of I think, it's a shame, I think it's a shame. I mean, if the obvious four guy from all this is Quadrado, and and from wherever I've seen Quadrado, I've loved him. I thought he's. But have you, you loved know. him playing for Chelsea? Well, to be honest, I've seen him play live for Chelsea three times, and he's probably played how many times has he played for Chelsea? I mean, obviously Mourinho is basing it on training as well. But I, I'm just really surprised. And you know, if you if you run a club well enough, I guess you get away with signing a player like Quadrado, giving him you know three minutes game time and then selling him uh, uh, or Luis Felipe you know if you if your club is well enough run you get away with what have to be mistakes I mean you know if you sign a player and end up flogging him 
you know, a season or even less later because he's not fitting, then you have made a mistake. But say, if you get enough right, then people overlook, sort of, you know, give you a bit of leeway on those mistakes. You but can't, it is no, a, you can't. When you sign a player like Quadrado, you don't know for absolute certain that when they get to it, when they, when they are put in the first team and told to show what they can do, you don't know how they're mentally going to cope. Oh, I know, but it's, but it's, but it's even more surprising. Cope, it's even more surprising when you've got someone like Quadrado. You know, he's got, these guys are playing at the top level, playing in World Cups. Luis Felipe's played in, you know, absolute top level. It's just, it's just surprising that you're, you know, we're not talking about kids here. You're, you're signing established, right. you know, senior internationals. And say Mourinho gets clearly gets a lot more right than wrong. But I, I'm just still surprised that two players of that caliber should be bought uh, and then discarded, uh, seeing so little of them. All right, this John Terry being sent off story, decline of John Terry, blah, 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 small shin pads. People absolutely seem to love this. Like, is there tension, friction between Terry and Mourinho? I haven't seen any indication that there is, and I keep getting assured that there isn't. Uh, am I wrong? Have you guys heard otherwise? Is this just a big media creation? I don't think it's a, I mean, I think, you know, John Terry's having a sticky time, and uh, but I don't, yeah, I don't think there's any... Any, it's not um, a personal issue between him and Mourinho. Not that. Uh, yeah, it, I, I agree. So we don't need to spend too much time on it because it seems to me like, for now at least, a media creation. West Brom, I, I, I loved Morrison's. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Header. And I, I actually thought that, yes, the marking wasn't great, but then again, Morrison's about three feet tall, so you don't really expect him to be able to hit something like that. And he hit it perfectly. Alison, he's, he's, he's a good player, isn't I he? Love, I love James Morrison. I love him. I interviewed him last season. and he's Is he smaller than he's you? He's very small. Oh, he's just one of those one-club, relaxed chaps, very eloquent. Two um, clubs. He came from Middlesbrough, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, but he's been there a long time. Oh, he's just he's just almost untouched by the whole Premier League sparkle. He just doesn't he just doesn't talk like someone who plays in the Premier League. He talks like someone who just goes out to work in a garage and comes home and has has a beer. He's <laughs> he's so he's so lovely and self-deprecating and. He, he gave up. He was captain for a bit, was happy to give it up if it, if it meant teams better. He doesn't have an ego. He's completely underrated. I'm glad you've highlighted him, Gab, because he's completely underrated. Every time... The reason I asked to interview him was every time I've watched him, I've thought, wow, wow, what a lovely, lovely player. He could be in Barcelona. He's that good. Why, easy there. Um, yeah, actually, he was one of the guys I thought 
you know, with Pulis coming in, might not really be Pulis's cup of tea. But and he'll play I, anywhere, also. Yeah, he has been moved all over the pitch. It's interesting when 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 you see this. I mean, I'm not Pulis's biggest fan, but a, it seems to me there's a bit of an evolution there at, at West Brom um, compared to what we saw at his previous clubs. You look at this. Are they even if Barrino goes and, and they don't get all the money back that they wanted to? They're, they're not really going to be in trouble, are they? I don't think in trouble. I do think Berahino will be a, a big loss to them just because, uh, you know, I think, well, I think goal scorers, you know, you lose the goal scorers. As, you got Rondon. You got Morrison. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't say, I don't think they'll be in trouble, but I just think... you got think, Callum McManaman, better than the original. They will be fine. They will be fine. And Pulis, you know that um, there'll be a lot of hard work goes in, which you, we should take for granted, but um, sadly can't from um, certain some, managers. some managers and coaches. Um, and you know that, um, yeah, they'll be resolute. And as you say, they seem to have a bit of, of a sprinkle of something better than that on top as well. But I, I do think, you know, you, you say you don't shed a goal scorer like that without... Um, Paying for it somewhere down the line. One of my favorite West Brom players is um, Gareth McCauley, who, as I discovered a few years ago, is old and one of those guys playing non-league football. I think he was a plasterer or something, and then when he was like 21, 22, and then came up through the lower divisions. I saw this guy, and I, I don't know if it was an illusion. Maybe if, if you guys watch the game, you may remember it. At one point late in the game, he actually kind of did a little Zidane roulette over the ball by the touchline and he's like a six foot four center back from the British Isles okay if anybody out there saw that hit me up on Twitter I wasn't quite the full thing <laughs> I mean, the ball was probably going out of play and maybe the Chelsea player wasn't who was pressing him wasn't that close but I thought like yeah this is kind of cool and I'm just waiting for uh, Olsen to do the same thing In our debate this week, we'll be talking the Football Association and all sorts of administrative stuff. They're shedding. Don't put everyone off that fast. Yeah, I know, I know. That's the sound you hear people clicking off. No, but they're shedding something like 100 jobs, I read. And ostensibly, it's to make £5 million in savings so they can build more 3G pitches. That's, that's, That's pretty much it. They actually say stuff like this? They do say stuff like this. I mean, it's uh, it's Greg Greg Dyke is his last um, last chance to try and achieve something, anything before he toddles off. Basically, he's um, this is Dyke's decision. This isn't the new guy. Glenn. Well, what, what, a, no, a, it's Dyke. It's been coming even before Martin Glenn, the new chief executive, arrived. Um, as, and then there's politics involved as well because I mean, Greg Dyke's come up with his big vision of of hubs in inner city hubs, and there's nothing wrong with that vision, um, even though it's sort of pretty much stating the bleeding obvious that hey let's have more all-weather year-round pitches in the cities might be good for english football it what, didn't, what it didn't, it didn't take a million pound commission to come who's going to run one. these the the local the, councils yeah or? They're, they're sort of joint projects with um the local council basically sort of uh, who are already run pitches you know say right you know we've got these low-grade facilities here if you can come in and give some funding and then we'll give you a, a break here or there and and but Greg Dyke and then these came, are came pitches up. that clubs or local people can just rent by the hour. Is that the idea? Well, yeah, basically, there'll be the, the hubs would be run by uh, an organisation that would be sort of set up with, by the FA, and it's all joint with the Premier League, which is where the politics comes in because someone's got to cut with all this money for this, and the Premier League have got a lot of it, but uh, are in slightly sort of Premier League fashion, saying you don't get 
you know, you don't get our money for nothing. If if you want joint funding, then you better come up with something as well. So Greg Dykes then got the problem of, you know, he needs he needs money to make his grand vision um, a reality. So, what do organisations uh, do when they want to save money? They quite often um, make redundancies, and 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 that's where Greg Dykes looked. I mean, I. You know, I think there are also other types of ways of saving money at the FA. I mean, I think FA Cup prize money um, yeah, I to, saw, to, to the lower clubs, great. I saw somebody but to who the looked top... a lot like you say that on Sunday Supplement yeah, on Sunday. Yeah, I know. He's a... you, and your idea is basically, I think that guy was a little more handsome than you, actually. Yeah. Um, but And probably looking less tired. But no, he's... Uh, I, my, I just think the idea of the FA, you know, this organisation that is saying it needs des- money, you know, desperately to make, you know... Uh, kids play football is giving six, seven, eight million quid a year to Man City or Arsenal or whoever wins the FA Cup each year. I think that's crackers. Um, you know, if you want to give prize money to, you know, all the, the the smaller clubs that get knocked out in the early rounds and that helps filter money down the game, great. But do we really want to be giving? that sort of prize money to a, a top club that's already got a turnover of well, half a billion. Well that, well, that assumes you know who's going to win the FA Cup. Well, I what, know. But, what but, yeah, if but a League these, One team won the FA Cup? They'd love eight yeah, million but they quid, but we're not. They? We're not uh, are our top clubs in it for the money? Um, when their turnover is this, you know, that five, six, seven million builds a lot of 3G... You know, if we're if talking you turned it into a vanity show, then they, they would de- the big clubs would definitely feel... B or C teams in it. You've got to well, you've got to maintain well, no, it. I don't think I don't I don't think the kudos of the FA Cup has ever depended on the prize money. I just don't I, I just don't believe it does. And and so anyway, I'm saying anyway, that's one of one of my ideas for how the FA might uh, alternatively um, save some money. But you know, it's I, there's a lot of good people there who will be losing jobs. And it's I mean, uh, another point I, I made is that you know. <laughs> the FA gets a kicking a lot of the time, and a lot of it's deserved. But we should point out that most of the time, that kicking is for the hierarchy who who run the place. And there's an awful lot of guys who are, you know, been doing doing their jobs diligently. Um, That's for, also for a long as time the, as the FIFA argument. No, but FIFA and other organisations yeah. who are the. You know, the, the, just the regular Joes. Who yeah, there's, do, there's foot soldiers who, who do a really good job. And they pick and, up the paper yeah. every day and they read, you know, the hapless FA, the well, useless FA. What I don't get about this is, and, and I think is really unhealthy, is the way the FA continually gets judged on how the England national team do and how many English players are in the top flight and, and whatever else. And I know Glenn alluded to, to and it got a lot of attention to the possibility of these guys going abroad to further their careers. I just think that's a really, really bad benchmark. See, I presume the FA has some sort of um, statute somewhere with some sort of mission statement. And I'm pretty sure the mission statement isn't to make sure that 60% or 70% of players in the, the top tier of English football are eligible to play for England, nor is it to go and win the World Cup or even reach a semifinal. I, well, sh- surely their broader mission is about development of football in this country, and, and it's not just. Yeah, but winning the World Cup's a part of that. I mean, it's the, their, their mission statement is the betterment of English football, and, and is it better for English football to win World Cups? Well, of course it is. I'd argue no, it isn't. Because, I mean, obviously it wouldn't hurt, but. No, if it's not. You, it's, if it's, you look at it. If, that's the outcome, not the. No, not but the th- their mission, if, right? I mean, like, the, 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 there's blind football right now. There's, uh, the, there's the blind football team. I think they just beat Italy in some sort of competition. There's development of women's football. There's football for seniors. There's footballs, f- football for kids who aren't going to become Saido Berahino. And I just think if your benchmark is the World Cup, then you're really talking about 
the absolute elites, the point double oh 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 one percent. Oh, absolutely, and you're, and you're setting yourself up for disappointment. That's and I'm agree. also saying, that's and the clubs are probably better at developing those guys anyway. Well, that's why it's crack. You know, I mean, the, that, the the great speech that Dyke made about you know t- turning the tanker. I mean, he, why they put in that line about winning the World Cup in 2022? I mean, Isn't it's there, just cra- uh, it's crackers. They thought it sounded good. It made a good soundbite. It sounded, you know, oh, let's have a target, however daft it is, and let's not even explain how we're going to reach that target. No, I, I agree with you on that point. They're 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 bigger most important purpose is getting as many people in this country playing and enjoying football well, because this is the point but that's but that's back to, that's why greg dyke is banging on about um, not banging on it's a worthy goal to get inner city hubs but again like a lot of things that greg says you know is easy to promise and a, an awful lot harder I'm to gonna, deliver i'm going to detour to your friends to, to your cycling friends and uh and dave brailsford right so did the did english cycling start winning things because they took the absolute elites and gave them ridiculous training facilities and lots of attention well, and spent a lot did. of money yeah, on they it. Did. Yeah, well, or did. did they go and say, ooh, let's build 50 velodromes around the country and get 10 million Englishmen cycling and then maybe the best guys will come out of that? No, well, it's interesting in that case, and it's, you know, and this is where you know, you, the scale of sport, the, the comparisons probably don't work because in cycling they could target track cycling which no one else actually was that bothered about and they realized that they could get met you can make this fantastically virtuous circle of target something that people aren't great at you win medals and if you won medals you get funding well and if you get more funding but, then you can win more medals right, and you create this but all that funding goes i mean ultimately what makes a difference is the funding that, that goes to the elite that that, that, that went to, to to wiggins and and, and Froome and stuff like that and this is the same thing i mean if, if you really want to do this right you go around, you find the, the, the best 12-year-old athletes in the country, you get Brailsford and other egghead nerds to go and examine them and say, oh, this guy will develop into a superstar athlete. You get the top 100 or top 1,000 every year. You sequester them away like they did in East Germany, right? You give them the perfect diet. You give them a little help. And then out of that, you will develop your English supermen who will probably perform better in the World Cup than anything else. But if your scope is to develop the game broadly, then you need the 3G p- pitches and the women's football and the football for, for the differently abled and the old people and all this jazz. Right? I mean, that's ultimately the, the balancing act. If only we could do that experiment where we would do what other sports do and go around the country and instead of just looking at good footballers, find people who are super fast and say, right, you've got the pace we need. They, they, they we're going to teach you. We're going to teach you how to play football. Come along to our special secret hideaway clinic, and then you know, five years time, five years time, you get a team that are built not from people who've always dreamed of winning the FA Cup or playing for England. You get people who well, I don't even love football. But it's been done in East Germany. I mean, it's been done behind the Iron Curtain. I don't know if socially it's the right thing to do. In fact, I'm pretty sure it isn't. And, no, I'm exaggerating and, how it would be, but it is. It is as Matt points out. It's more like the. It's it. It's you know, no one cares enough about cycling to care how they get to to to, to the top of their sport. No one. No one really cares about the backstory yeah. that much. You just know that they, when they go out there, they give everything and they've learned how to do it properly. Now, I want to mention uh, your column, which is slightly related to this, but you you talked about, again, the issue of young players and so on, and, and now we're in a situation where, I think partly to make sure they don't sign for other clubs, you have you know, 17, 18, 19-year-olds making half a million pounds a year. And you, you, you write about Colin Gordon, who's who's an agent, who's 
Steve McLaren's football agent, uh, incidentally, and it was, I think generally a good egg. He made the point, he had a meeting with the FA and he suggested, well, can we implement something where, you know, maybe at that age you only get part of that wage and, and the rest gets deferred into, uh, in, into a trust fund? It, it's interesting because, brief detour, but one of my one of my all-time favorite basketball players is a man named Allen Iverson, who was nicknamed AI. And before that, he was nicknamed The Answer. And uh, he was a brilliant basketball player, and he was also, at one stage, slightly irresponsible. And um, he put $20 million, one of the clever things he did, he put $20 million away into some kind of trust fund where he can't touch the money until, I think, he turns 50 or, or, or something like that. Now, he's basically bankrupt and living hand-to-mouth now, but he knows he's got that huge payoff down the line. I, I don't know, is, would something like, but, but would something like what Colin Gordon is suggesting, is that even legal? I mean, can the... Can people... Well, I think that's one, that, that is one of the, the big first questions. Because effect, lawyer, effect, effect, effectively, can you force people not to collect their money now is, is, is obviously one of the, the practical issues brought up. I mean, I think he's... But I do think it's a worthy debate because this, this issue is only going to get bigger and bigger, isn't it? Because the money coming into... English football is only getting bigger and bigger. So we, you know, we talk about there are kids that people have never heard of who are already earning half a million a year. In two or three years, that's going to be a million. You know, there will be 17-year-olds who are earning, who are nowhere near the first team, who are earning, you know, twenty thousand pounds a week just to stop to, to, to pay by Chelsea to stop them going to Man City or to stop them going to Man U. And Chelsea might not have any intention of ever put, even putting them in the first team. They might just think, well, we nurture them a bit. We send them to Holland or Belgium for a couple of seasons and then we flog them for a, a, you know, a few million quid. And a lot of these kids might be able to handle um, that money fine. A lot of them, you know, there are every player who reaches the top has to have a hunger and a motivation that means they're not in it for the money. But at the same time, as that money swells, you know, should we be concerned about it? Well, I think we probably should. And should, our academy managers who have to deal with this day-to-day concerned about it, well, absolutely they are because they're dealing with 17-year-olds who turn up in Porsches and, you know, Bentleys and whatever. You know, these kids uh, say they're not first-team players. And do they think it can turn heads? And do they think bad career decisions are made because of it well yes they do not in every case but in enough cases for it to be uh, an issue i think the, the the difficulty what i have a problem with is if somebody's old enough to be sent to war and die for their country i'm not a hundred percent and make big decisions about becoming a parent and whatever else i i'm entirely comfortable with you know, the PFA or, or the FA or somebody saying like, oh, well, no, you can have this money later when you're more responsible, especially in a sport and in a context where there are 25-year-olds, 30-year-olds. How old is uh, Gordon Taylor? People his age who run up seven-figure gambling debts, right? So, you know, <laughs> people <laughs> often make bad decisions at every age. So I think it's something, I think it's something certainly worth, uh, but it's, but it's, worth encouraging, but it's why I'd hate to see it mandated, though. Yeah, I, I get your point, Gab, but why do some people write into their wills that they don't want their inheritance to be activated until the recipient is 21 or 25 or 30? Why do parents, you know, deliberately not not leave huge sums of money to their offspring but oh because they're worried they won't they'll take life for granted and not want to yeah, work that's for fine it. if you're worried about the young player at your club having his head turned if he makes 20 grand a week then don't pay him 20 grand a week and run the risk of him going elsewhere 
But I mean, I think it's a different relationship between a parent or somebody dying and leaving money in their will, which is ultimately their money, and they could go and. Yeah, my and, point, and my burn point it is simply, as a society, we acknowledge that having too much too soon can warp your values and stop you having the hunger to succeed. And, and there's the wider point of just this is one of the distorting effects of so much money in in the English game. You know, we're constantly sort of evaluating, you know. All this money flooding in should be a good thing. It should, you know, money should create opportunity. Money should create, you know, power and the ability to do things. But actually, in football, it also creates, you know, all kinds of side effects. It creates the fact that these kids are not going to follow Martin Glenn's advice and look abroad. Well, why would you? You know, if you if you're being paid a fortune at seventeen, eighteen in, in England, why on earth are you going to look to go to, to to Portugal or Spain or France? Uh, and take that risk uh, and certainly do so for less money. It's part of the English problem, absolutely. Being so rich is part of the English problem. Right, time now for some quick hits. Who wants to talk to Manchester United? Yes. Louis van Gaal says United were fantastic in the nil-nil draw with Newcastle. Others say they served up a lot of sterile possession, bookended by chances at the beginning and at the end. And they also allowed the visitors to hit the crossbar. Dicko, where do you stand? Uh, there were some good bits, weren't there? But it, it's ultimately, you know, the Van, Van Hal. I still, I still just don't quite get where this system, what, what system he wants, and 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 how that system is going to excite. Uh, and I, I, I think if he's going to play two defensive midfield players, he needs a, a lot more sharpness up front. He should sign someone. I don't know. Someone like Pedro or someone like that. <laughs> there you go. That, 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 that's, that's naughty. I thought United played a lot better, actually. Speaking of Newcastle, Steve McLaren threw a lot of money around in the summer, and he also now sits on the board, whatever that means, when in a club owned by Mike Ashley. I said, are you more bullish now on his prospects and the tunes? No, you're, not, you're shaking your head. No, you're I'm not. shaking my head. More, more bullish simply because they didn't get thrashed at Old Trafford. You and mean. McLaren's there. They signed some interesting players. I think it's worth Mitrovic giving. Mitrovic didn't yeah. get booked this week. <laughs> no, I think it's worth giving uh, McLaren time. It's, it's referred to as a token place on the board. I don't quite know what the point of it is if it's a token place on the board. <laughs> yeah, I, no, give give McLaren time. He's the nice thing about McLaren is he doesn't he doesn't do that whole ego. I'm I'm going to save the club routine. He he entered the club quite humble. This might be exactly what Newcastle need. Spurs are held at Leicester 1-1. Dicko, if they don't land another striker, uh, do you think they can better or even just equal last year's fifth place finish? Uh, I think they probably will land an, land another striker, probably better he, you know. Um, but um, knowing Levy, that will be done at 11.59 and 59 seconds. Uh, Let's hope bit. not, because the transfer window actually closes at 6pm, oh, I believe. Yeah. yeah, well, knowing him, it could still be done at 11.59. <laughs> um, but no, I think they probably will get him. Will they, I don't think they'll finish top five because I think there are probably five better teams out there, including uh, Liverpool. Ooh, that's a step backwards then. Sunderland draw with Swansea, and it's still doom and gloom around Dick Advocat. Alison, can you explain the uh, negativity? Well, the negativity is probably because it feels like the end of last season where Advocat was, oh, I think I'm going, oh, I might stay, oh, I don't know. And then it still feels like that now. I mean, surely the point of, of, of sending his wife flowers and getting him to stay would be to have him really upbeat and passionate about the club that he's just come to know and fall in love with. 
but no, he, he seems to be hinting that if he doesn't get support in the uh, transfer window, he'll go anyway. Bournemouth get jobbed by the referee at Anfield, but then bounce back with a resounding 4-3 win over West Ham with someone named Callum Wilson. And I'm sorry, I apologize. I don't follow the championship. I was rather unfamiliar with him. Anyway, he goes out and he steals a show. Dicko, does their bright start suggest that maybe there isn't such a big difference in individual player quality between the Premier League and the championship and that experience is somewhat over, overrated? Or is it just that Eddie Howe is a genius? Uh, I think it's probably the fact you've just got uh, a club that knows knows what it's doing at the moment. I mean, I think, you know, there will be stresses and tensions and problems, you know, will add up as they struggle. But I think, you know, they've got a settled team. They've got a sense of very sensible coach. They've got players who believe in that coach. So I just think, you know, when they're, they're starting the season with a confidence that's built up over two or three you know, good years, and I think that confidence will carry them for a bit, but obviously it's going to be eroded week after week. Some great Jack Butland saves are the only thing keeping Norwich from uh, getting three points against Stoke. Alison, Eddie Howe is the bright young thing among newly promoted managers, but should we be talking more about Alex Neal, who is younger and also more handsome in a rugged sort of way? I went to I went to Bournemouth's first game in the Premier League, and uh, after we interviewed Eddie Howe, uh, a journalist from another paper turned to me and sighed deeply and said, I want him to be my best friend. I love him. Neil is not going to get that sort of reaction. He's your he's your sort of um, typical uh, sort of quietly spoken Scott, no nonsense. But, you know, at the end of the season, if Norwich finish above Bournemouth, then we'll all be stupid for falling for those blue eyes, won't we? Oh, Gab, I have a question for you. Oh, thank you. Rafa Benitez made his La Liga debut with Real Madrid on Sunday. How on earth did he get on? Not great. They're playing Sporting Gijón, who've uh, been promoted, but uh, they have transfer limitations because they have enormous amounts of debt. They're the youngest team in uh, in La Liga. Predictably, they put everybody behind the ball. Real Madrid did not play particularly well. They took a million shots on goal, most of them from outside the box. Probably still would have done enough to win. It ended scoreless, but you realize that this is just a really, really poorly constructed team, the way it was poorly constructed last season. Big Gareth Bale behind the striker, which I don't think is a good idea. I think Gareth Bale really struggles there. And I, I'm i just so surprised how Rafa, who hasn't been shy in the past about voicing his displeasures when he felt the club wasn't backing him with transfers or whatever, he's just kind of smiling and getting, getting on with it and looking like a bit of a yes man. And I don't think Rafa's at his best when he's a yes man. Right, that's all we've got time for right now. Many, many, many thanks to my guests today. It really is better when we have two high-quality guests than uh, rather than three mediocre ones. So a big, big thank you to Alison Rudd and Matt Dickinson. Now remember, you can get exclusive football, rugby, and cricket highlights free as part of your subscription. It's just £12 for a 12-week trial, which I believe works out as at a pound a week. Until uh, next time, bye-bye. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away. 